We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. For, uh, nobody left out. 40-day devotional. We invite you to read it with us. Uh, if, for everyone online, if you aren't near us, you can go find it on Amazon. Go search Nobody Left Out. Uh, Michael Murray, you'll find it. You can catch uh, the two previous weeks also at redemptionplano.com. Just click sermons, search Nobody Left Out. It'll come right up. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the unwelcomed dinner guest. Everyone say the unwelcomed dinner guest. Have you ever walked into a room and felt unwelcome? You ever feel that way? It was 1998, and my great friend Terrell Wooden and I were in our hometown of Waco, Texas. We were hanging out after a Sunday evening church service, and we decided to stop by Katie's Frozen Custard Stand right there in town. It's a great place. This is a popular hangout spot in Waco. A lot of Baylor University students and a lot of middle to upper class families hang out at Katie's. That's the, the normal fare there. On this Sunday night, it was no different. There was a group of about 50 people hanging out on the patio of Katie's. And imagine 50 people all talking loudly. That's that kind of scenario. You walk up, everybody's talking. Everybody's talking at the same time, 50 people. It's just that kind of noise, right? Now imagine it going completely silent as I walk up with my friend, Terrell. Everybody talk at one time. One, two, three. We're all talking. And silence. You walked into that, you'd be like, what just happened? What, y'all know what, anybody ever feel that way? Now, Alex, I know you feel that way every time you walk into a room, but other people, do y'all know what that feels like? I love you, Alex. So, Terrell, he's a black guy. I am lacking all pigment. That's me, white guy and black guy. And we walked into that patio that was filled with white upper crust people. They seemed to look over us and, and silence overtook them. Whatever they were talking about stopped immediately. The silence was so noticeable, it made me flinch. Have you ever flinched at silence? But it's not a jump scare. It's like the lack of everything. It's like, what just happened? So quiet. And Terrell made our way up to the custard stand, and we ordered, and we left. When we got back to the car, I felt I needed to clear the air. I, I felt bad. I felt like something needed to be said. So I said, Terrell, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it completely seemed like your presence startled the good white folks back there. And my friend Terrell, you know, I wish you'd know him. He's a wonderful guy. He took it in stride. And he said with a funny voice, he said, those people were behaving like, he's here. He said that little sound. Everybody go that sound with me. He's here. <laughs> That's what he said. And to this day, when I call Terrell or he calls me, at some point, uh, the conversation turns to somebody saying, He's here, and we both remember that moment where we disarmed soft bigotry with laughter. Sometimes you just got to disarm it with laughter, and we laugh now. It's a funny story now as we think back on it, but at the time, my friend 
was less than welcome. He was unwelcome. And that's not okay. Have you ever felt unwelcome? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Have you ever walked into a room and felt out of place? Thank goodness that never happens at church. Now let me just preach to you for a second. Sometimes people walk into church and they don't receive a friendly greeting. Sometimes people walk into church and they actually feel unwelcome. We have some guests here for the first time. Can you clap your hands to show them that you're appreciative that they're here tonight? We are glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Welcome. Welcome. My goodness, I hope you feel absolutely welcomed. I hope you feel, I hope you feel God's presence and I hope you feel our heart as well that we love that you are here. So that same unwelcome feeling is the setting of our story and it's found in Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin at verse 36. If you have a second, you can pull that up on your phone if you want. If not, we have it right here on the screen. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 38, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus is invited to the party. Do you agree with that? Jesus is invited into the home, and this is interesting, of the Pharisee. Did anybody see that word? Pharisee. All right. He's invited to a party, and the party is at the home of a Pharisee. Who even knew they threw parties, Teresa? Who even knew that? Pharisees, let's talk about them. They're well-to-do. Pharisees are upper class. They are well-respected. They would never do anything uh, that would cause you to question their honor and their dignity. Pharisees pride themselves on being righteous. You ever have a friend who just always had to be right? That's a Pharisee. They always have to be right. And Jesus is reclining at the table when a woman who lived a sinful life came to the party. I want to talk to you very quickly about this woman. The woman was uninvited. Whatever the criteria were to make the guest list, she did not make the cut. She was uninvited. The woman was also undignified. Her lifestyle was known as sinful. Say it one more time. Sinful. It is likely that she was a prostitute. Given her past, she was not honored at the party. Instead, you can imagine she was sneered at by the other guests at the party. And then finally, the woman was unable. She was unable to change. The ancient world culture 
kind of stacked the deck against women. Let's talk about it for a second. Women were not educated in the ancient world. The phrase career woman did not exist in the ancient world. There was no talk about breaking through a glass ceiling because women carried fewer rights than a woman. If a woman were without a husband, she had very few options. She would either live in starvation, in poverty and starve, or she would become a prostitute. This is what life was for a woman in the ancient world when she was not with a family. Once a prostitute, once a woman turned to prostitution, she was likely disowned by her family. Her family would act like she had never lived. No one would use her name anymore. That's how the ancient world worked. And it would be very unlikely for a woman who had turned to prostitution to ever become married. So this woman, she's in the throes of a culture that she can't do anything to change. She was unable to change the culture. And therefore, she was unable to change her situation. She was unable to change her past. She was unable to change anyone's mind about her. The woman was uninvited, undignified, unable. But she came anyway. Like this one. There's something about her. She knew she wasn't going to be liked in that place. But she came for a reason. What Did anybody catch that? Why did she come? Why did she come? Because she had heard that Jesus was going to be there. She risked ridicule because she heard Jesus was going to be there. She risked being thrown out, being laughed at because she heard that Jesus was there. She heard that Jesus was nearby and she risked it all. She said, I am going to go see Jesus, even though it's going into the house of a Pharisee. So the woman is basically a party crasher. When sneaking in without a ticket, has anybody, be honest for a second, all right, you're at church, nobody's going to throw anything at you, you just be honest with me. Have you ever snuck into a place without a ticket? Anybody? Here's one. Here's one. I've done it before. I've done it. Right? Gosh. I was a poor college student. I will tell you real quick. Here's how I spent my Saturdays. I went and bought one ticket for a movie, and I saw several. There it is. You, you just heard it. Hey, raise your hands. If you've ever gotten into a place you didn't buy to get in, you just kind of snuck in. All right. These are my people. But I want to see a movie later. Four or five. All right. <laughs> when, when sneaking in without a ticket, there's something you probably already know. You need to learn to blend in. You need to learn like you belong there. You walk, you know, don't, you, there's no need to even make eye contact with people because you belong there. You just, you're looking at your phone, you're doing stuff because I belong here. I don't even have to, even knowing full well, gosh, I hope they don't come talk to me and ask for my ticket because you don't have one. But you know, if you can blend in, it's all good, right? You don't want to do anything that would stand out. You aim to look like you belong. 
You actually would like to blend in with the wallpaper. So they, when they see you, they could see you for the sixth time, and they think it's actually the first time they've seen you because you've blent in that well. Does this woman in the story blend in at all? Think about this story. Does she blend in? She didn't, she didn't kind of get in the room and kind of, you know, position herself where she couldn't be seen, but she's in the room. No, not on your life. Use your imagination right here. So use your, use your brain. They are reclined at the dinner table. They are eating. They are talking. When this happened, verse 38, she stood behind Jesus at his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Her tears are so much that they are pouring down on his feet. Then she wiped them hair. And she kissed them. And then she poured perfume on them. If we go down the sensory list, everything that you can sense is in this room. What you see what you hear, what Jesus could feel, what you could smell, the perfume. Every sense, she was like ringing the bell of every one of your senses. Every one of them. Everyone knew without a doubt that this woman was here. Let me tell you, this is exactly how not to blend in. I would not go see a movie with this lady. She'd get us kicked out. Immediately, I can imagine the entire party looking on in awkward silence and disbelief. Can you imagine that too? Can you picture it? Someone was probably screaming in their mind. Have you ever screamed in your mind? Did y'all hear my scream? I just, maybe they were screaming something like, someone make her stop, make her stop, make her stop. We invited Jesus here. It was supposed to be a nice party. She's weeping on the guest. Someone make her leave. Oh, my gosh. She's here. Make her leave. Please, these thoughts. You know, like, someone should do something. Is someone going to do something? Someone. She is ruining everything. These are the thoughts going through every person's mind, not just the Pharisees, but Jesus' own disciples that were there were probably thinking, the same thing. I would tell you that everyone other than Jesus was actually thinking this. In fact, the woman might have been thinking, what am I doing? Simon was absolutely doing this screaming in his mind, and he reveals it. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud, he said it to himself, and I think it belongs with exclamation points, he's screaming this in his brain. If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Ah! I throw a party and now it's got sinners in it. Often in the gospel, Jesus is judged because of his association with sinners. Have you noticed that? In week one, in fact, we saw the crowd judge Jesus because he was associating with the sinful tax collector named Zacchaeus. Now Simon 
is questioning if Jesus is really a prophet because of who he is, Jesus is allowing to touch him. Our association with Jesus is a win for us, and it is a loss for him. I want you to get that right now, that his association with us is a win for us, but it is costly for him. It costs him to be associated with a sinner like this guy right here. It is a huge win for me, but it's the reason why he went to the cross. Still today, we hear people say that they won't have anything to do with Jesus. Why? Because of those sinning hypocrites at church. Even now, people say, I, I hear about that Jesus guy, but I don't want to have anything to do with him because of those sinners that call themselves Christians. Have you ever heard somebody say that? It's never changed in all the years. In all the years. Whether it's Simon saying, he's letting, well, he's near a sinner. I'm judging Jesus by the sinner that's nearby. And your friend judging Jesus by the sinners that attend a church on Sunday. Well, let's just disarm that real quick. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Anybody, Anybody we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Thank you. I may say it again. Our association with Jesus is a win for us, and it is a loss for him. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. Answered who? Answered Simon. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now, notice that Jesus is actually reading Simon's mind. Because Simon said this to himself, that the woman was a sinner. But Jesus answers a question that Simon never articulates. Jesus answers with a parable story. He answers with a symbolic story. Verse 41 begins the parable. Let's look at it together. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Jesus gives Simon a parable about debt forgiveness. Anybody get those phone calls? Want to talk to you about debt forgiveness? Do not talk to those people. It is likely a scam. Most people aren't out there really to forgive your debt. I'm very sorry to tell you, don't do it. All right. There are two debtors in the parable that Jesus used. You'll notice that. One is, is a debtor that owes how much? 500. And another is a debtor that owes 50. 550. How many debtors are in the parable? There are two. All right. How many owe money? Two. How many are forgiven? They are both forgiven of their debt, all right? And, but, but which forgiven debtor loves more? Do you remember that? The one who was forgiven of more loves more. The one forgiven of the bigger debt loves more. Nod your head if you agree with that. We're all around. Good job. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman, this is Jesus, and said to Simon, 
do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven, been forgiven little, loves little. Who is the unwelcome dinner guest in this story? Think about who, which character is that. You don't have to say it all, but I just want you to think, who is the unwelcome dinner guest in the story? There are lots of discussions over uh, what the name of the sinful woman is. Lots of discussions. Some things it, it's Mary Magdalene, but she's not actually named in this story, and there are reasons why that's not likely. It's likely that this story kind of happens twice, both times at the, at the house of a guy named Simon. The first time it's Simon the Pharisee, and the second time it's Simon the leper. I'll let you go study that all out yourself. But today, you are so fortunate, because after a lot of studying, Adrian, I want to reveal to you by divine revelation the name of the unwelcome dinner guest. Are you ready? There's like no one ready. Are you ready? All right, gosh. The unwelcome dinner guest's name is pauses for dramatic effect. The name of the unwelcome dinner guest is Jesus. Jesus is the dinner guest that came into Simon's house and was not offered water to wash his feet by by the person throwing the party, Simon. And yet the sinful woman washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Jesus is the dinner guest that Simon did not greet with a kiss on the cheek. And yet the uninvited woman has kissed the feet of Jesus. Does anybody see it? Jesus is the dinner guest Simon ignored with the custom of placing oil on the head. And yet the undignified woman took her perfume and anointed the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus is the dinner guest that is in Simon's house, yet unwelcomed by Simon. But who welcomes Jesus in the story? Jesus is welcomed by the outcast woman. The woman's uninvited, undignified, and unable to change. And yet watch what Jesus does in verse 44. What does he do? Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I want you to get a picture. No one's turning towards this woman in this story. She's the woman that when she walked down the street, look away. Don't look at her. She walked into this story. Nobody addresses her at any moment. And then suddenly, Jesus turns to the woman and speaks to Simon. 
He is speaking to Simon as he looks at the woman. I want you to get that picture. And he says what to Simon? He asks him a question. Do you see this woman? The woman that everybody looked past. The woman that the culture looked past. That the religious people looked past. Her own family looked past. But Jesus doesn't look past her. He looks right at her. Simon, do you see this woman? Can I tell you today? Jesus sees better than we. Jesus sees better than we. Jesus sees the woman better than Simon sees the woman. Somebody say yes. Jesus sees Simon better than the woman sees Simon. Somebody say yes. Jesus sees the woman better than the woman sees herself. Somebody say yes. Jesus sees Simon better than Simon sees himself. Yes, if you agree. Jesus sees you. He sees you better than your enemy sees you. Jesus sees your enemy better than you see your enemy. Jesus sees you better than you see yourself. you agree about that? How many know that's true? I know it's true with all my heart. Jesus sees better. He sees better. Simon may not have seen the woman, but Jesus did. And I don't know who does not see you. It can be so exhausted trying to be seen. On your job, you want to be seen, right? You show up early, you stay late, and it seems like they just don't even notice. Anybody? anybody? How about your teacher? Oh, my goodness, we've got one issue. We've got one of our sons having a little trouble with their teacher. It's like, well, they, they kind of started down a bad path, and now they're trying to come out of a bad habit and become a good student. But it's almost like the teacher doesn't see the effort. Anybody relate to that? You make a mistake, and now, can you even see that I'm trying to turn it around? They don't see. It is exhausting sometimes trying to be seen. But Jesus sees you. Maybe nobody else does. Jesus sees you. Simon the Pharisee was quick to point out the sin of the woman. But Jesus is quick to point out. Our heartfelt worship. Simon sees anything, it's judgment for sin. And Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, of all humanity, what does he see? He doesn't see judgment. He sees love. He looks and he sees love. Christian, what do you see? Christians, what do we see when we look out at the world? Is it easier for us to judge people or to love people? Are we more like Simon or are we more like Jesus when it comes to seeing? I want you to know, I want you to get the picture of the person that just makes you maddest. Whoever that person is. Oh my gosh, a wife just thought of her husband. We're praying for you, sir. We're praying for you. I want you to I want you to think of the person that makes you maddest. Oh, that person makes you so angry, whoever that person is. Now I want you to picture how Jesus sees them. 
How does Jesus see that person? Does Jesus see that person better than you? I'm going to I'm going to help you. He does. He does. He does. Does Jesus want to help you see that person differently? He does. He does. Oh my goodness, church. We need to see people and love people. Simon assumes three things, and I'm afraid that we also assume three things. I'm going to give them to you. They're in your they're in one of your chapters that you read this week, hopefully. Simon assumes, number one, that Jesus doesn't know who this woman is. Wrong. Jesus does know. He does know. He does know. Number two, he, he assumes that the woman is unloved and unvalued. Wrong again, Simon. The, the woman is loved and she is so valued. Then third, he assumes that he's a better person. Wrong three times. He assumes he's a better person. And I don't know about you, but you assume some of those things sometimes. I'm a better person. Oh, that is such a bad road down to go, go down. Let me help you. Repent of that right now. Repent of that. Lord, have mercy on both of us. That is a good prayer to learn. Listen to this. Pray for your enemy and say, God, have mercy on both of us. That is an excellent prayer to pray. Have mercy on both of us. You really want to find blessing? Learn to love your enemy. Those are our three assumptions that we see from Simon. Do we, do we make those same assumptions? We're talking about debt forgiveness. Let's come back to that idea. In the parable of Jesus, he teaches us about two debtors. And they are there are two debtors at the heart of the dinner party as well, right? You see how that works out. You got a story in the story. The, the story starts at a dinner party, and then it goes to a parable of two debtors. But outside of the parable, there are also two debtors. Name the two debtors in the, the, at the dinner party. Simon and the unnamed woman. Do you agree? Do you see that? All right, cool. I don't mean to get meta on you, but that's, that's what's happening in our story. Both Simon, the Pharisee, and the unnamed woman, they're both the debtors of his parable. That's why he told the story. Connect the dots. We are all debtors. We are all sinners. In the parable, one debtor owes more than the other debtor. One owes 500, the other owns 50. And both actually are unable to pay their debt. If they were able to pay their debt, they would need to be forgiven. That's how debt works. But because they can't pay their debt, they are forgiven of their debt. In the parable, both debtors are forgiven, not just a little bit. He doesn't say, you know, make a few installment payments. Let me tell you, God doesn't work that way either. God's not like, well, if you will read your Bible five days straight, I'll forgive you. God, aren't you glad God doesn't do that? God doesn't say, well, I don't know. Let me see how you live over the next week. Maybe if you can make two Sundays in a row to my house, then I'll forgive you. I want to tell you, Jesus does not work that way. If you ask him to forgive you, he forgives you right then and there. And I'm so glad about it. Because if you could earn your forgiveness, you wouldn't need to be forgiven. You could work your way out of it. In the parable, both are forgiven the full amount. But there is a difference in their response. Their response is the real difference. Now listen, the judgmental person will try 
to, to make the difference their debt. The judgmental person will try to make the difference the types of sin. Church, we do that. Right? My gosh. Oh, I'm going to say it. Oh, somebody forgive me. It's going to be said. Here it is. Please forgive me in advance. I have been to way many church steps off the stage. I have been into way many church services where I heard a, a man preach hardline sin, calling everybody a sinner, but he weighed 400 pounds. And of all his sins, he did not mention gluttony. Anybody seen it? I've seen that. What did he do there? He, he made a difference in the sin. The difference in the debtors is not the sin. It's not the debt because neither of them could pay it. The difference that Jesus points out in the story is not your shortcoming. The difference is how you respond to your forgiveness, how you respond to his love. That is the difference in his story. Church, it would do us really good to make that the difference in our life and not how we judge people and how we keep records of wrong. Somebody help me. Love does not keep records of wrong. Hmm. There's the difference is what? The difference is a response. Look at it. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, her many sins. Now he's jumped out of the parable. And he's back to the dinner. And he's pointing at who? Her. The woman. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I got two little sentences for you to learn. This is big knowledge. This is huge knowledge. Here it is. Forgiven much equals love much. Say that out loud. Forgiven much equals love much. One more time. I want you to get it. Forgiven much equals love much. What's the opposite of it? Show us. Forgiven little equals love little. One more time. Say it. Forgiven little love little. The woman's extravagant worship of Jesus, her great love is from a realization that her many sins and how Jesus has forgiven them all. What is it? She sees her debt and she sees the master forgive it all. That is why she was an extravagant worshiper. Now, Simon. Simon's lack of love, his lack of attention to Jesus, his absence of worship is why? It's from an ignorance of his many sins. He is even ignorant that he's a sinner. He's a Pharisee after all. I'm righteous. He is ignorant of his sin. Forgiven sinners make the best worshipers. Those who understand they don't deserve God's presence and his provision. Did you feel good while you were worshiping tonight? Did anybody feel God's presence? Can I tell you something? You did not deserve to feel that. You didn't earn the closeness of his love tonight. He gave that to you because he loves you. Can I tell you, anybody blessed? Anybody blessed? Anybody? Can you, you feel blessed? Can I tell you this? You didn't earn that. 
I'm, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you didn't work hard. I'm not saying you didn't go to school. I'm not saying any of those things, personal responsibility, all that stuff. Great. That's great. I want to tell you, God blessed you. God has given you things that you could have never deserved. Those who understand, they have fallen short of his glory. All of sin fallen short of his glory. Those people, they make the best worship. Those who see how great Jesus is and are willing to pour out their most costly praise. Those people make the best worship. The woman and Simon were equal sinners. Oh, but, but Chris, no. One in the parable, one owed 500 and one owed 50. If you can't pay either of them, it doesn't matter what the number is. Story our pastor loved to tell this story. Imagine being holy and righteous is having a jumping contest. And so we all just have a jumping contest, and I, I get out there and I jump and I get I get a whole four centimeters off the ground. And I'm like, yes! And and you only jumped two centimeters, Marshall. So I was like, in your face, I'm more righteous than you. In fact, I'm twice as righteous than you. I am the most righteous. I jump four centimeters. And then, I, you, you know, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, that's how, that's how, like, religious judgmental stuff works. But then what happens when LeBron James walks up? He says, oh, there's a jumping contest, is there? And so then he jumps, and he jumps up, you know, I don't know, four feet, five feet or something. And we're just like, well, why should I even try? I can't do it. He jumped so much higher than me. But wait. Then God reveals that the jumping contest is not just to see how high you can get. You were supposed to jump over the moon. In order to be righteous and holy, you needed to jump over the moon. And let me tell you, LeBron James jumped taller than me. But he was nowhere near jumping over the moon. When it comes to trying to earn your own righteousness, it is trying to pay a debt you cannot pay. It's trying to work in a contest that you have no shot at winning. The woman and Simon are equal sinners. They are equally hopeless. But they are not equally aware. They were not equally aware of who they were as sinners, and they were not equally aware of who Jesus was. We need to be equally aware of how far we've fallen, and we need to be equally aware of how good He is. I want Redemption Church to be filled with people who realize that they are sinners, and they realize how wonderful Jesus is. You know, if we are that kind of church, I think anybody could walk in. I think anybody would be welcome to walk in. If we were that way, we realize how we don't measure up, but we understand how good our God is. I want this church to be filled with those who are forgiven much, and they have learned to love much. We're drawing to a close. I want to read a few more verses, if you'll allow me. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are Given. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? I told you, his association with us is always a loss for him. It's always gain for us. 
verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That woman who walked in, she was uninvited, undignified, and unable. Yet she was forgiven. Is that true? Yet she was saved. Yet she received peace. Jesus invited her to be forgiven. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. What is Jesus doing there? So Jesus has given her dignity. He's invited her, the uninvited. And now the undignified, he is giving her dignity. Your faith has saved you. And Jesus was able. She was unable. But Jesus was able to liberate her from her sin. She was unable to free herself. But now Jesus has, in his ability, set her free. Sadly, we don't read that Simon the Pharisee has a parallel experience here. We don't see that in that story. We're about to come and pray. We're about to spend some time all over this house. We want to make it as comfortable as possible. But we, I challenge you right now, I want everybody in this place to reach out to our great one. Jesus and talk to him for the next few moments. We're about to pray. Which for more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.